Let's pray, Father. We marvel at your love. For indeed, you loved us so much that you sent your only Son so that we might have everlasting life, so that we might have a relationship with you, so that our sin could be accounted for, so that we could be declared righteous, all because your Son was willing to come to earth and go to the cross. Father, we thank you. We marvel at the grace that is so undeserving. It's a hard Friday. Yes, we call it good because we know the outcome. But it is a scandal. It is heinous. As the cosmos was turned upside down when you taking on human flesh took on our sin and was separated from the Father. And Lord, we thank you. Guide us as we go to the text briefly this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, we are going through first and second Peter, and tonight we thought it would be fitting. In fact, we started with Palm Sunday, we're moving all the way through Easter, looking at the final week of the life of Christ through the eyes of Peter. On Sunday, glorious Easter Sunday, we will look at Acts 3, where Peter gives his second sermon in the New Testament. It's powerful. You won't want to miss it. But tonight, I thought it'd be fitting to go back to 1 Peter. If you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I was reading a stat this week. Three out of every five teenage girls struggle with hopelessness. Three out of five. That number is staggering when it has grown over 60% in just the last 10 years. This is not counting the hopelessness that we find with young male teens or with adults. Finances, job security, world instability, an uncertain future. And we find that hopelessness is a cancer that is eating at the very soul of humanity. With a widespread epidemic of hopelessness, it's not surprising that a lot of venues have been pursued to try to find that hope. And what we see time and time again is it's simply temporary. Oh, it might take the stress out for a moment or the anxiety, but hope is ultimately fleeting. This evening, we're going to observe a solution to this hopelessness that we find in the world. And and ironically, it centers on what could, could be considered the most hopeless, catastrophic event in history, one that's based on suffering. That is the suffering of Jesus on the cross. And at that cross is the epicenter of hope. Without the cross, all is lost. The Bible, it's an enigma. Jesus' life is meaningless, and we as humans stand hopeless and eternally condemned. Jesus' suffering via the cross becomes the very basis of our assurance, the bedrock, I would argue, for humanity. 
And Peter, as he pens a letter to churches scattered through what is now modern Turkey, he needs to address hopelessness because that's where the church is struggling. And in this letter, we find these words nestled in chapter 2, starting in verse 22. He says, he, that is Christ, committed no sin. Now listen carefully, because he's, he's quoting from Isaiah 53, which was read earlier in the service. And by the way, thanks to all those involved to make this, this service tonight uh, so special. A lot of time and effort has gone in to both our tech, our worship team. So thank you. It says, he committed no sin or was deceit found in his mouth. When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he th threatened no retaliation, but committed himself to God who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and in the body on the tree that we may cease from sinning and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you've turned back to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In these few verses, there's going to be four references to Isaiah 52 and 53 and four allusions to that same passage. It's vital. You say, why is Isaiah 52 and 53 so important? It's called the suffering servant or the suffering songs, servant songs of Isaiah. It's vital. And it's not surprising that Peter is going there. Throughout the New Testament, when we talk about the suffering of Jesus, it is always goes back to Isaiah 52 and 53. Jesus himself refers to this text. And the former German New Testament scholar Martin Hengel said, Isaiah 53 is the core of the gospel that we find in the New Testament. See, Peter isn't telling us a new story He's showing us the unfolding of God's plan throughout history. And the suffering servant motif, which is interesting because in that context of Isaiah, it's God promising to his people, I will rescue you. I will deliver you. And in so doing, it's going to be through a, my servant who is going to suffer for you. I've mentioned this before. A friend of mine who is Jewish, we went to seminary together. He read this text to his parents and, uh, from Isaiah 53. <clears throat> and his dad took his fist and rammed it through the wall and said, stop reading Christian literature in my home. And my friend said, this is from the Hebrew scriptures. It's Isaiah 53, 52 and 53. It was a biblical prophecy that looked to this one who would restore and bring hope. And so Peter, in these few words, linking it back to Isaiah 53, he gives us three very important points about Jesus' suffering and our hope. First, our hope is found in Jesus and his undeserving suffering. Notice there in verse 22, he quotes from Isaiah 53, the text that says, He did not commit sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Time and time again in the New Testament, we are told Jesus is without sin. He's done nothing to displease God. He never violated the Mosaic law. There's nothing to find him guilty for. And so the question that we should be asking tonight is, then why should he suffer if he's perfect? 
Why should the God-man, the one who was God who took on human flesh, have to suffer? And we're going to answer that in a minute. But first, our hope is in that he is sinless. That's vital. And second, before he answers the question, our hope is found in Jesus' obedient suffering. This is seen there in verse 23. When he was maligned, he didn't answer back. Uh, He committed himself to all of this. He did not retaliate. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not how I would have responded. I'd have just struck him dead. After all, he is God. They fell when they went arresting him. Remember the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane? And it says in the text, he committed himself to God. And why? Why would you do that? Because the text tells us he knows that the Lord is just. The Father knows what is best. And secondly, he knows that God's justice must be satisfied. Not for himself. Because this servant is righteous. This servant is obedient. And this is where the third point, our hope is found in Jesus' redemptive suffering. The why is found in verse 24. Notice the text. He himself bore our sins. Not his, ours. The, the, the idea, the term bore here in the Hebrew is, is one of used of sacrifice. He's the one who crawled onto the altar. And, and the, the 50 cent word we use theologically is substitutionary death or atonement. What does that mean? It means that Christ suffered as a substitute for us. It is us who should have been nailed to the cross. We were the ones who needed to pay for our sin. We should have spent a Christless eternity from God because of our sin. We cannot atone. What could we do except endure the suffering? But Christ stepped into a hopeless state and served as our substitute. Jesus stated it in Mark 10, for even the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. And therein lies our hope. This is why it's good. The heart of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him, God made him, his son Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you've placed your faith in Christ, if you've repented of sin and come to that recognition, what God sees is his son's righteousness. Wow. (laughs) The physical anguish of a Roman crucifixion, oh, it was awful. It was to inflict the greatest amount of pain for the longest period of time. But nothing compares to the agony of taking our sin and enduring what we should have endured for all eternity. That's why the Lord stated on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice what Peter says in verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the, he doesn't use the Greek term for cross, he uses tree. And for a Jewish audience, you would immediately reflect upon the text that states in Deuteronomy 21 that is cursed for anyone who hangs on a tree. He became the curse 
That is Christ. And Peter's accentuating that by highlighting it is a tree. And notice he says, he did this so that we might cease from sinning and live for righteousness. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so we see here in the text that through him, by his wounds, verse 24, you were healed. Eighty some times Peter uses the first person plural. There's only four times he uses the second person you, and here's one of them. You have been healed. It's emphatic. He wants to highlight this. Don't miss this. Peter is saying, you've been healed. Those have placed their faith in Christ. The ultimate problem for men and women is not the conditions which we find ourselves, our happiness or peace. No, our ultimate problem is a spiritual ailment. It's a relationship with the holy God, a God who's eternal and just. And there is no remedy I don't care what doctor you see or what pharmaceutical company you look to, there's only one who can bring healing, and that is Christ. There's no other name which why you can be saved. The only solution is in the glorious gospel of the blessed God, who's found solely in Christ. And so the question is tonight, on this Good Friday, do you know this healing have you experienced God's grace? And I love how Peter closes this out. Because remember when Peter denied Christ and he's restored, Jesus said, do, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And then, and then the Lord says to Peter, then feed my sheep, shepherd my, shepherd my flock. And notice what it says here. For you were going astray like sheep, dumb bobos. <laughs> but you have turned back to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. Jesus is the good shepherd. Where is hope in this hopeless world? At the cross. For indeed, this Friday is good. Not because Jesus was completely righteous who was tortured and died, but today is it good because our Savior was obedient. Yes, even obedient to a cross so that our sin could be eradicated and that if we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus as our Savior, we can be healed and experience Jesus as our good shepherd. Father, thank you. As Peter is conveying to a group of believers who are undergoing persecution, who are finding it to be very wearisome and, and losing hope, he reminds them of where hope is found. And on this Good Friday, we're reminded as we stand at the foot of the cross, our hope is found in the suffering servant who came, who was sinless, who was obedient, and he paid the price for us. In the name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus, we say thank you. Amen. As we consider those words, I invite you to sit and listen to the words of this song that we're about to sing, thinking about the righteousness of Christ that has been accounted to us.
all-sufficient merit Shining like the sun Fortune I inherit By no work I have done My righteousness I forfeit At my Savior's cross Where all sufficient merit Did what I could not In love He condescended Eternal now in time A life without a blemish The Maker made to die The law could never save us Our lawlessness had won until the pure and spotless Lamb had finally come It is done, it is finished No more dead I owe Paid in full, all sufficient Garments, any empty boast, good works now all corrupted by the sinful host. I'm trusting my Lord Jesus, a crimson robe in white. No more fear of judgment his righteousness is mine it is done it is finished no more dead i owe made in full all sufficient merit now my own it is Salvation shall be my final breath When I stand exalted before the throne of God I'll gaze upon my Jesus 
continue to look at the cross we're called to examine not ourselves but really and since we're not here to say are we followers of Jesus but rather it's to remind ourselves of the hope we have and what Jesus has accomplished for us I ask the elders and some of the deacons to come forward as we distribute the elements as they do I was thinking through communion this week in light of Good Friday so why, why do we take communion? I wrote down three things. First, we're participating in the sufferings of Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not sharing in the body of Christ? Communion is nothing less than communion with and a participation in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The cup and the bread are not some ritual that the church performs, nor is it some means of grace or a component of our salvation, but rather it's our identification with the Lord, what he's accomplished through, uh, for us through his suffering. And thus, the elements are an opportunity for us to identify with Christ. There's a second component with communion, and that is one of unity. Through the suffering of Christ, we are brought together, and 1 Corinthians 10 states, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the bread. Churches throughout the world for Good Friday are giving communion. We are participating in one way with all of these saints as we come united in and through the sufferings of Jesus. There's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free. All racial barriers, cultural barriers, social status, those are all been brought down under the banner of Christ. The third reason we take communion is that we're renewing our covenant with God on the basis of the sufferings of Christ. We're remembering his death on, for us. And that's why these elements that are going to be distributed are for those who've placed their faith in Christ. If you've not done that, that's what you need to do first so that you can commemorate or remember with us what he has done. And so doing, we proclaim his death until he comes. In other words, communion is really 
a visual proclamation of the gospel. <laughs> it's through tasting and touching that we proclaim his death. And so as the elders and the deacons distribute these elements, uh, spend some time in reflection on what Christ has done for you, and then we'll come back together and partake of the bread and the cup.
after having lived overseas for three years, my landlady gave me a paperweight. She said, every time you see that, you remember me. <laughs> of all the things the Lord could have left the church, a light bulb, remember the transfiguration, a stone, remember the rolling stone of the tomb. He said, now I want you to remember the cross. <laughs> I want you to remember what I've done for you. I shed my blood for you. And that you've been ransomed. And that you've been set free. You've been healed because I was willing to be obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And Paul understood that seriousness of that event because in his letter to the church at Corinth, he rehearses what the church is to be doing on a regular basis because he says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I have delivered to you. That's the night that the Lord was betrayed. He took bread. He took the bread and he broke it as a symbol of his body. And he said, this do in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup after supper. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your willingness to send your son. Thank you for your son's willingness to go to the cross and bear our sin. Oh, the physical agonizing that took place, the excruciating event that occurred because of a Roman crucifixion, yeah, it's awful. But nothing compares to have taken on our sin and to be separated from you. And for the Lord to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, we stand very humbled in awe and in deep gratitude because of his willingness to sacrifice his body and to spill his blood we have a restored relationship with you and we rejoice and thank you